0: Hello, and welcome to Sharp China. I'm Andrew Sharp, and you are listening to a free preview of today's episode. Bill Bishop. Bill, how you doing? Good. Hey, Andrew. It's good to see you. I missed you. Hi, everybody. Sorry we
1: missed a week, but we're back. We're back.
0: I was traveling last week, so we missed our usual recording session, but it's great to see your face. It's great to be back. Got a lot to catch up on, you know? I mean, we missed Wang Yi and Jake Sullivan in Austria. There have been multiple controversies involving comedians and the PRC. I also saw that Tashi had a dramatic run-in with a snake a few weeks ago, which we never got to talk about on the podcast. So... A lot of ground to cover today, you (laughs) know? Yes, there
1: is. Tashi is now not only a mouser, but also a snaker. So that's good.
0: Absolutely. Expanding his resume. Um, We'll begin today in Hiroshima at the G7 Summit. I'll read from the Financial Times here. They write, The G7 has issued its strongest condemnation of China as the world's most advanced economies stepped up their response to what they called rising military and economic security threats by Beijing. Criticizing China over everything from its militarization of the South China Sea to its use of economic coercion, the G7 urged Beijing to push Russia to withdraw its troops from Ukraine. The G7 members said they were, quote, seriously concerned, unquote, about events in the East and South China Seas and, quote, strongly oppose any unilateral attempts to change the status quo by force or coercion end quote. They also called for a peaceful solution to tensions across the Taiwan Strait. The group stressed that they, quote, were prepared to build constructive and stable relations with Beijing, but recognized the importance of, quote, engaging candidly and expressing our concerns directly to China. So that's a very condensed version of the messaging that emerged from this meeting, but it captures the general tone of what was being communicated. So what did you think of the statements from the G7 countries and the reaction they inspired on the PRC side?
1: Uh, I actually was tougher on China than I expected. And I think it was, it was certainly um, there was a whole section, section 51 that was basically listing out um, all the areas of concern from the G7 countries, which were effective but pretty much all of the PRCs, what they call core interests, maybe a couple of exceptions. And so um, it was, I think, a testament to concerns, really, that Japan, the host this this time of the G seven, has about China, and I think they um, successfully rallied the G seven. Obviously, with you know most of the countries went quite willing, mm-hmm. um, but it it really is, uh, I think, a pretty. Um, you know, people who are more hawkish will say it missed some things or it wasn't tough enough. But I think to get this kind of a statement out of the G7 grouping is quite remarkable, just given how, you know, even where they were three or four years ago. Um, And it's just really a sign of how much more concern there is from some of the major economies about China. I think that the, the reaction from the PRC side was to be as expected, which is, you know, basically you know you're the ones who are the problems you're the ones uh you know that one of the one of the things that came out of it was there was a separate statement around um economic coercion Mm -hmm. uh, really really talking about how the chinese you know say the chinese course use economic coercion to further their goals um and so the g7 has agreed to set up something called the coordination platform of economic coercion to quote Increase our collective assessment, preparedness, deterrence, and response to economic coercion. Now, just a couple of days before the uh, G7 met, or maybe it was the day, day before, the PRC issued this long document all about how the US was the biggest coercer in the world when it comes to economic coercion. Right, And so um, the, the Chinese side was not surprised by this, but it was also um, certainly uh, hit struck a button in China. And of course, the the question is, well, as I wrote yesterday in my newsletter, right, one country's legitimate economic sanctions are another's coercion, right? And so, of course, the G7 countries will say, for the most part, you know, well, if we agree on sanctions, well, they're legitimate. And if China does something, it's not. And, you know, that we can argue in circles forever. Just the fact remains that the G7 has now set up this coordination platform, and it's highly unlikely to be targeted at, say, the U.S., Mm-hmm. Um, or the u k um, but it 's really about china, and so um I think in general it 's just another marker in the bifurcation of the world that accelerated since the um, it 's been happening for a while and I mean she and Trump both helped accelerate it, but i think it 's certainly been the speed has increased even more since the uh, Russian invasion of ukraine and china 's sort of Fence straddling, yeah, totally. You know, fence, fence straddling with everything but their toes on one side of That's the fence. That's right.
0: That's the image that we've been working with on <laughs> yes. the podcast. Um, <laughs> the group of seven, for anyone not familiar, is Canada, France, Germany, Italy, Japan, the UK, and the US. And so, among those countries, you think it was Japan, sort of driving the focus
1: on China during this summit. Well, the U.S. played a big role, obviously, but Japan as a host had, um, I think, an outsized uh, impact, or outside influ- outsized influence. And one thing I want to add, to in terms of how the, um, how the Chinese reacted in, in the various statements they put out, one of the comments, I think this was from the foreign ministry spokesperson, was, let me make clear that gone are the days when a handful of Western countries can just willfully meddle in other countries' internal affairs and manipulate Global affairs. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, again, this is part of a broader theme of how China, you know, it's just China is, again, it's just sort of this, this, this bifurcation, and this pushing back on the US led, sort of Western led order.
0: Yeah, well, and my reaction, I'll read another part of the statement from a spokesperson in response to all this. And the PRC foreign ministry, they said the G7 used issues concerning China to smear and attack China and brazenly interfere in China's internal affairs. China strongly deplores and firmly opposes this and has made serious demarches to the summit's host, Japan and other parties concerned. China, uh, Taiwan is China's Taiwan. Resolving the Taiwan question is a matter for the Chinese, a matter that must be resolved by the Chinese. The one China principle is the solid anchor for peace and stability in the Taiwan Strait. And my prevailing reaction reading that statement and some of the back and forth in the wake of the G7 is just how familiar all of it feels at this point. Like you have this gradually escalating rhetoric around the world. And then as countries are becoming more concerned about China's activities, China's response is always to basically lash out at other parties that deserve blame and reiterate that not only are they not taking steps to address the concerns, but they're offended that other countries even express the concerns. And so it it creates this cycle where it's like, I don't really know where we go if the name calling is just going to continue in perpetuity.
1: No, that's right, and and it and China will shift substantively. I mean, Australia is an example where the Chinese side effectively laid out these fourteen issues that they wanted the Australians to deal with. Um, they, without officially calling them sanctions, they effectively sanctioned the groups of Australian exports or imports into China, and the Australians just sort of didn't respond. That Australia had a new government come in, which took a different tone, but not really a different substantive approach to China. And the Chinese side has gradually walked back some of these things, but of course they weren't like actually sanctions. They were the popular will, the people who didn't want to buy Mm. this kind of product. Right. (laughs) Right.
0: And so everyone decided at once,
1: right. It's right. And so, and so the Chinese have actually walked back several things around Australia, not everything, um, but they, they did it without actually admitting that they had sort of been in the wrong or gone too far. And, you know, we'll see. You certainly see this dynamic in the U.S.-China relationship, where where you know it's all the U.S.'s fault,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and and the way they talk about it, it it makes it just extremely difficult for the country on the other side to back down. Because as we've talked about before, every country has domestic politics.
0: Right. Well, and and part of Biden's address in the wake of the summit included the following. At the Bali conference, he said, that's what President Xi and I agreed we were going to do and meet on. And then this silly balloon that was carrying two freight cars worth of spying equipment was flying over the United States. And it got shot down and everything changed in terms of talking to one another. I think you're going to see that begin to thaw very shortly. And people seized on the thaw comments there. There's a whole New York Times story about it. And so I want to get to this question from MD and open it up to you. He asks, what grade would you give the Biden administration's China policy? What's been good? What's been bad? Overall, do you think the administration is successfully preserving American soft power? This is one of those questions that could turn into like a three hour conversation. But what jumps to mind when you hear that and, and look at where we are and where we've been over the last six to 12 months? All right, and that's the end of the free preview. If you'd like to subscribe and receive full episodes of this show, you can do that in two ways. First, you can go to cynicism.com and sign up for Bill's newsletter, which will also give you access to all of our Sharp China shows. Or if you want to receive all our Sharp China episodes, along with daily analysis of the tech business from Ben Thompson, several other podcasts about technology, and more shows that we'll be adding in the months to come, you can click the link in your show notes and subscribe to Stratechery Plus.